0: Hello and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth for talk number six in the series Seven Ideas That Turn the World Upside Down. These ideas which Brian describes are not new. They're contained in the Bible and were written there centuries ago by authors guided by the Holy Spirit of God. They're ideas that offer hope and stability to us in this violent and chaotic world. Today Brian will explore from the Bible how Christianity gives the dignity to human life that nothing else can match. So Brian, tell us more. Thanks John. In the United Kingdom,
1: in December of the year 2012, the results of a national census were published, which showed that now only one in every three people professes to be Christian, while one in four returned an answer of no religion. The actual number of those reporting no religion was over 14 million, which when compared to 8.5 million in the year 2001 shows a 67% increase over 10 years in those who profess no religion in the UK. Presumably, some of these people may still have some belief in God, despite not aligning themselves with any particular religious organisation. However, many of them will likely be atheists and believe in some form of naturalistic evolution, which is the view that ultimately sees humans as highly evolved pond scum. That doesn't seem to be a very appealing, or even a very dignified description of human beings. But the likes of Richard Dawkins would say, tough, too bad, for that's just the way it is. Dawkins once said this, We are going to die, and that makes us the lucky ones. Most people are never going to die, because they're never going to be born. The potential people who could have been here in my place, but who will in fact never see the light of day, outnumber the sand grains of Sahara. Certainly those unborn ghosts include greater poets than Keats, scientists greater than Newton. We know this because the set of possible people allowed by our DNA so massively outnumbers the set of actual people. In the teeth of these stupefying odds, it is you and I in our ordinariness that are here. We privileged few who won the lottery of birth against all odds. How dare we whine at our inevitable return to that prior state from which the vast majority can never start? Or perhaps you prefer the description of human beings as recycled star stuff. Astronomer Alan Dressler has written that every atom in our bodies, save hydrogen, was once at the centre of a star. We'll allow Neil deGrasse Tyson to explain what he finds appealing in this point of view. The Big Bang endowed the universe with hydrogen and helium, and not much of anything else. But there are stars, and stars manufacture heavy elements from light elements. They take hydrogen in and fuse the atoms to become helium, and helium fuses to become carbon, and carbon fuses to become silicon and nitrogen and so on. Thus, elements other than hydrogen and helium have no origin other than in the centres of stars. And stars not only manufacture the heavy elements, they also explode them into space. Since life itself thrives on these heavy elements, we owe our very existence to stars. The very molecules, he says, that make up your body. The atoms that construct the molecules are traceable to the crucibles that were once the centres of high-mass stars that exploded their chemically enriched guts into the galaxy, enriching pristine gas clouds with the chemistry of life. So we're all connected to each other, biologically, to the Earth, chemically, and to the rest of the universe, atomically. It seems to me that these are attempts to give some sense of awe and dignity to a hopeless and purposeless existence, but they fail to account for the origin of information. How did the chemical hardware of our cells write its own software? Reducing everything down to chemistry doesn't really get us very far, because if you take the printed page of a book you can indeed reduce it all down to chemistry, except for the fact that it leaves totally unexplained the fact that the page communicates information through the text. And that happens by the physical ordering of the letters, something quite independent of chemical makeup. If that's true of the single page of a book, and it is, quite indisputably, how much more is it the case that life, with all its DNA information, is much more than mere chemistry? This is where, once again, I want to emphasise the revolutionary nature of the Christian message. How and why is it radical? I would say because it's the only truly coherent worldview. And what do we mean by that? First, a worldview is a perspective, a way of interpreting or making sense of the world around us. And second, every worldview, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about atheism, pantheism or polytheism, Every single worldview has to be able to answer four questions. And these are, where did we come from? What's the meaning of life? How do we define right from wrong? And what happens to us when we die? You know, these are the four most fundamental questions of life. Every thinking person asks them at some time or other in their life. You'll have noticed, of course, that they boil down to questions of origin, meaning, morality and destiny. And the point is that in Christ, through the gospel, we have a coherent set of answers to these four worldview questions in terms of humans having been created in God's image to enjoy a relationship with our Creator who has summarised his moral standards for us most famously in the Ten Commandments and through the cross of Christ has secured for us an eternally glorious future, at least for those who believe. And if I was to select a verse from the Bible to highlight human dignity and contrast sharply with the bleak views presented earlier belonging to those who say there's no God, then I'd choose this one from Psalm 8. It asks, what is man? And answers, you have crowned him with glory and honour. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. That was God's purpose in creation in moving away from the failure of any philosophy which willfully rejects God's existence, including its failure to invest our humanness with any real sense of dignity, let's now, if we may, view ourselves biblically and we see that human dignity is something which is derived, it descends from the revealed reality that we are created equally in the image of God, while in certain cases that image and dignity seems to be more fittingly and prominently displayed than in other cases, nevertheless, the essential dignity of our humanness is an absolute given that doesn't rise and fall within the span of individual human existence, by which I mean it's unaffected by the degree by which our biology is as yet undeveloped or later begins to malfunction. For even humans who exist in some degree of dependence on others are essentially no less dignified. Not when we reflect on how God, by becoming flesh himself in the incarnate Christ, dignified even such a state through becoming dependent on human breasts and all the other normal menial duties of care on which every infant depends. In this way, prominent aspects of helplessness are seen not to diminish our essential human dignity, which, as we say, is something that's God-given. In the book Finding Your Way, Gary Laferla tells an amazing story, pieced together from the records of the United States Naval Institute following the Second World War. The USS Astoria had engaged the Japanese during the battle for Savo Island before any other ships of the US Navy arrived. During the crucial night of the battle, which was August the eighth, the Astoria scored several direct hits on a Japanese vessel, but was itself badly damaged in the process. At about 200 hours, signalman 3rd Class Elgin Staples was swept overboard by the blast after the Astoria's gun turret exploded. Wounded in both legs by shrapnel and in semi-shock, he was kept afloat in the sea by a narrow life belt. At around 600 hours, Staples was rescued by a passing destroyer and returned to the Astoria, whose captain was attempting to save the cruiser by beaching her. The effort failed, and Staples, still wearing the same life belt, found himself back in the water. It was now lunchtime. Picked up again, this time by the USS President Jackson, he was one of 500 survivors of the battle who were evacuated. On board the transport... Staples hugged the life belt with gratitude and studied the small piece of equipment for the first time. He scrutinised every stitch of the life belt that had served him so well. It had been manufactured by the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company of Akron, Ohio, and it bore a registration number. Given home leave, Staples told his story and asked his mother, who worked for Firestone, about the purpose of the number on the belt. She replied that the company insisted on personal responsibility and each checking inspector had their own personal number which they put on the belt when signing it off. Staples remembered everything about the life belt and quoted the number. There was a moment of stunned silence in the room and then his mother spoke. That was my personal code that I affixed to every item I was responsible for approving. Try to imagine the emotions within the hearts of mother and son. The one whose DNA he bore had also been instrumental in his rescue in the waters that had threatened his life. If an earthly parent can provide a means of rescue without knowing when and for whom that belt would come into play, how much more can the God of all creation accomplish? His registration number is on you, for God our sovereign creator, originally imprinted his image on his human creation. Then he also took upon himself the personal responsibility for our rescue. He's the one who leaves nothing to chance in bringing all the threads together in our life story. The God who designed us with a dignity which we've defaced has now thrown us a lifeline in Jesus Christ. Will you stretch out and grab the purpose for which you were made?
0: Again, we offer the opportunity, as we do every week, for you to receive the transcript booklet of all the talks in this seven-part series. It's free to have, and if you'd like one, then uh, just make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title, Seven Ideas. You can also download booklets via the internet, or you can order by email, but first I'll give you the postal address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now, here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info Now, if you want to, you can download MP3 versions or podcasts of some past programmes. Just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk And uh, some titles are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type search for truth series into the search box and you should find us. So, many thanks again for the privilege of your company today. It's been great to have you with us. And do join us next week if you can for the final talk in this series. But until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian... Uh, studio technician David and uh, me and our singers. So goodbye and may God richly bless you.